welcome to Around the World in 80s Movies. My name is Vince Leo. I am the author of the film review website, Quipster.net. I invite you to check out over 4,000 of my written reviews. You can read there anytime. Quipster.net is where to go. I've been doing film reviews since 1996. I cover movies, not just of the 1980s, pretty much every era of film. You can check out all of my written work there at that website, Quipster.net. While you're there, I do encourage you to check out the link to my other podcast. It's called the Quipster Film Review Podcast where I cover movies that are brand new to theaters, VOD, streaming services. You can check for the link at that website, quipster.net. Today, I'm going to get into the third and final of the looks at films of the 1980s that are buddy movies that have a CIA tie-in. The first movie that I looked at was called Spies Like Us, both characters in the CIA. The second film, only one of the characters in the CIA, that was called Real Men. And this third one has neither of the two main characters in the CIA. In fact, neither of them are men, which makes it actually fairly unique for the 1980s. It is called Outrageous Fortune. It came out in 1987. It's an R-rated film. It does have sexuality, sexual humor, violence, and language. The runtime is an hour and 41 minutes. The two main stars are Shelley Long and Bette Midler, or is that Bette Midler and Shelley Long? I'll get into the reason why I say that in just a moment. Peter Coyote, Robert Prosky, John Shuck, and George Carlin are in the film. Arthur Hiller is the director. Leslie Dixon is the screenwriter. Now, although the subgenre of buddy films, buddy movies, whatever you want to call them, they've been around pretty much as long as talkies have been around, you know, talking movies. Outrageous Fortune is notable for being the first buddy comedy from Hollywood to boast two female actors as the stars. Now, there are some possible exceptions that you know you might bring up. I think Desperately Seeking Susan certainly could qualify, although I would say that Madonna has much more of a supporting role. She doesn't share much screen time with the lead, Rosanna Arquette, in that film. Nevertheless, there have been other female buddy comedies, one being a big one from 1980 that I will probably talk about fairly shortly. It's called 9 to 5 that had three female leads, so it's a buddy comedy, but it does have three. This one isn't really about female empowerment like 9 to 5 was, but it's much more about female rivalries, female friendships. In most respects, otherwise, it pretty much follows the formula of a typical male buddy comedy. It just happens to star women, although it does represent the comeuppance of a dishonest and later abusive male paramour who truly deserves it and it does affirm female values and camaraderie in a very lighthearted way especially as it draws towards its vengeful conclusion here Shelley Long playing a prissy longtime acting student named Lauren Ames Lauren has never gotten an actual gig despite many many years of training as an actor she finally does find some hope when she makes her way into this prestigious drama class that's led by this all-time great international acting coach from Russia. Bette Midler co-stars as Sandy Brzezinski. She's this mouthy, earthy waitress who suddenly finds herself in the same class, although she does not have any of the same talent or even desire to really be there until she actually gets there. The two end up having a personality clash pretty much immediately, and it only gets worse once it's discovered that they are actually both in a relationship with the same dreamboat of a man, Michael Santers, who's played by Peter Coyote. Santers, sometime later, ends up faking his death for reasons that the ladies have to end up putting aside their petty differences to discover, and mostly they want to do this because they want him to choose between them. 
they're willing to forgive him for basically leading this life they did not know about and cheating on them on the side. Their collaborative adventure sees the two going on this cross-country trip only to find that there's much more to Michael that they never knew. And that's something which gets them on the run from KGB agents, the CIA, and they hope to come out alive. And the MacGuffin of the film is this toxin that can destroy all vegetation within miles with just a few drops on the ground. Now, Outrageous Fortune's script is written by Leslie Dixon, her first to ever be made into a feature film, although this is her second to actually be written. She wrote the screenplay to Overboard, which I talked about on an earlier episode. It came out actually the same year in 1987. Leslie Dixon was hired by the producers, Robert Court and Ted Field. They were from Interscope Communications. They wanted her to do revisions for another script while she was there, and they liked what she was doing. They subsequently offered her the chance to develop a female buddy comedy idea that they had been trying to get off the ground for a few years through several teams of male screenwriters, but they were having little success. Unlike those efforts, Leslie Dixon's take would end up proving successful, and it was put immediately into production without very many revisions. And it ended up getting shot by director Arthur Hiller, almost verbatim to what she had on the page. Now, that verbatim part is interesting, given that the film does feature a literal cliffhanger ending that echoes Alfred Hitchcock's North by Northwest. That's something that Arthur Hiller had done before he directed a 1976 hit buddy comedy called Silver Streak. You know, that one had Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. That was a buddy movie. It was also a Hitchcockian film in its execution, but this one... I would not say it's Hitchcockian per se. It does have the aforementioned MacGuffin, but there are more allusions to another great master storyteller. Of course, one of the greatest master storytellers of all time, William Shakespeare. Not only due to the fact that the film does feature actresses who are trying out for roles, you know, it is about acting, so Shakespeare would come into play. But the title of the film itself, Outrageous Fortune, is an allusion to the bard's Hamlet which gets directly referenced several times within the film. Hamlet contains the most famous of all of his lines, Act 3, Scene 1, To be or not to be, that is the question, whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. Hence the title. Unlike Shakespeare's actors, these women are not played by men, as they were back in the day, but there is a scene of gender reversal where the two women end up dressing as men into this brothel only to be mistaken for young boys pretending to be older trying to sneak in. Now, reportedly, Shelley Long and Bette Miller did have a bit of a clash of egos while they were on the set making the film, although their different personalities were the primary reason they were put together. It does work for the comedy that we see on the screen. If they don't get along, it does feel natural. Now, one of the clashes that they had was about getting top billing for the movie. Shelley Long did have most of the screen time, but Bette Midler was the bigger movie star going into this film. Shelley Long, she had signed her contract. This contract had guaranteed her top of bill status, but it ended up getting renegotiated to a shared spotlight when Bette Midler, who was pretty hot after back-to-back hits with Down and Out and Beverly Hills and Ruthless People, she became a viable option to co-star along with Long. A compromise ended up getting struck by their agents. They suggested that they split the billing based on the location. When they did prints of the film, Bette Midler, as the star, would be top billing for showings east of the Mississippi, while Shelley Long would get the nod west of the Mississippi. 
This also held for video releases when they were going out, just depending on where they were being shipped out, you would get either Shelley Long or Bette Midler listed first on the cover. They would also alternate their names for press releases used to promote the film. Trailers, posters, lobby cards. They flipped the names pretty much evenly in the advertisements for the film in all regards in the newspapers. One day it would have Bette Midler on the left. The other day it would have Shelley Long. So kind of a convoluted process in order to please both of these actors. Bette Midler had discovered that she was pregnant shortly after signing on to Outrageous Fortune, even considered declining the project once she discovered it because of the physical nature of the performance here. Although she was under a three-picture contract with Disney and Touchstone to maintain her compliance and to avoid delays, the studio ended up negotiating with Midler so that she could perform very limited stunt work to try to make sure that there were no issues. She did jump into those stunts probably a little more than they would like. To hide the uh, bump, the baby bump if you prefer, <laughs> Bette Midler ended up wearing an old pair of roomy pants and an oversized orange sweater as part of her wardrobe throughout the film. And meanwhile, she would suffer a bit of a setback with the loss of her father. But being the lifelong show business professional that Bette Midler is, she ended up soldiering on through all of that to deliver the very light and effective comedy. She would end up getting a Golden Globe nomination for her performance in Outrageous Fortune. Shelley Long, meanwhile, had left her stint on the wildly successful TV show Cheers to pursue an acting career in the movies. And Outrageous Fortune ended up being a pretty good effort in that regard to make everyone think that she could have a lot of success. Unfortunately, it didn't quite pan out probably the way that she liked over the next subsequent films. Now, in Outrageous Fortune, the two would-be actresses get more of a lesson on how to act than they would do in the acting class. They end up having to don a variety of disguises and to take on a plethora of different personalities, different accents in order to either try to gain information or to make a slick getaway. The plot of the film is often nonsensical. I mean, the, there are elements of this film. For instance, both ladies end up hiding inside different tumbling industrial dryers at a laundromat. There's no way that they could both close those dryers to end up inside them and then push the button to have them run. So it's a film that plays mostly for laughs above all else. If you try to think about what's going on in each scene, it probably will fall apart for you. Outrageous Fortune is amusing. I do think it's often hilarious as a comedy. It greatly benefits from two energetic and funny performances by these very talented lead performers. Shelley Long, I do think, gets to riff plenty in this role that's not terribly dissimilar to the snooty Diane Chambers character that she played on Cheers, but she does get plenty of moments to shine on her own by taking a variety of other comic characters in the course of the story, so she does get to branch out quite a bit to show her talent. Bette Midler, meanwhile, is perfectly cast as the raunchier and brasher of the two, and she does make it plausible that they'd be at each other's throats from the get-go, yet their eventual rubbing off on one another does seem very plausible the way it develops through this film, and that's due to the good acting by the two leads. Now, there was some grumbling at the time about the chosen date of release, January 30th, 1987. Now, January has long been considered a pretty weak month to release new films, usually is considered a dumping ground by a lot of studios. The Christmas release blockbusters are still dominating the box office, and then you start filling up the movie theaters with Oscar contenders because the Oscars get named. A lot of those movies get re-released back into theaters 
after they get nominated for the latter half of January and leading up to the Oscars in February usually. However, Touchstone Pictures did have success the year before with the January 31st release of that other Bette Midler vehicle I talked about earlier, Down and Out in Beverly Hills. They were willing to roll the dice again that the audience for that film would still be the same audience in January that would come out again during the same period. And they ended up generating some good word of mouth buzz. They had a soft rollout of preview screenings in about 200 theaters across the United States the week before its official release. And that got a lot of people motivated to come out. The move ended up proving successful. It would come out as the number two film in the United States box office for its first week of release. Actually, it dominated number two spot for three weeks straight. You know, it did happen to come out behind what would end up being another surprise juggernaut that had been dominating for many weeks, Platoon. So it never secured that number one spot, but it held number two for three weeks and remained in the top 10 money earners for about 10 weeks straight. So Outrageous Fortune was a big hit. And unfortunately, it has not become, I think, the big classic film of the 1980s that probably could have gotten, although it does have fans. It's not a movie that I would consider, you know, when people were thinking of their top 50 favorite films of the 1980s, it may not come up on as many lists as you would suspect, despite its success and despite being generally considered a funny movie by those people who love it. If you like the two stars, I do think that it is definitely recommended. And if you like buddy movies and the formula, I do think it's very funny. I personally think it's hilarious. I actually had not seen it for quite a few years, but I did enjoy revisiting Outrageous Fortune. It is a very fun and madcap comedy. Two comic actresses at their most appealing. You know, Midler and Long are irresistibly fun to watch together, and their odd couple pairing does work wonders, even if they could barely stand each other when the cameras stopped filming. It's unfortunate that they would not want to work again together because I do think that they do a really good job. So for all of that, I will give Outrageous Fortune three and a half stars out of four. Three and a half stars is probably higher than most critics would probably give it, but I think it's very funny and I definitely would want to see this again. In fact, I watched it twice this week, once on my own and I thought my wife would like it. So I watched it again with her and she had just as good a time as I did. So, and it was enjoyable watching it a second time in the same week too. So I think that for all of that, I should probably give it three and a half stars out of four. A very funny movie, Outrageous Fortune. I do recommend it if you haven't seen it already. Anyway, that concludes my look at films of the 1980s in which there are buddy comedies that have a CIA tie-in. Now, the film I'm going to be reviewing as part of my next trilogy of films kind of ties in a little bit with Outrageous Fortune because, number one, it's a comedy. Number two, it does feature a faked death, just like Outrageous Fortune. A death, by the way, that was faked in which a burned body comes into play, just like Outrageous Fortune. And one in which the protagonist, it's not a buddy movie, it's a starring vehicle for a particular performer, has to don a variety of disguises in order to ultimately come out on top at the end. It is a film from 1985 and one film that actually has become kind of a cult classic, maybe even a classic among people who like comedies of the 1980s. It stars Chevy Chase and it is called Fletch, one of two Fletch movies that came out in the 80s. So I probably will cover both of them. And that will be the next movie that I cover, Fletch. Check it out from 1985, a movie that I really, really enjoyed when I saw it in the theaters when I was about 14 years old. I thought it was hilarious. So I'm looking forward to catching up with that one again for next week's episode. Fletch, 
Thanks everyone for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this review. If you have your own thoughts on Outrageous Fortune or any other film that I've been talking about here on Around the World in 80s Movies, I do encourage you to reach out to me. Let me know uh, what you think of the show, what ideas you have that I could incorporate in the body of the show, or what movies that I have not covered yet that you would probably want me to get around to sometime soon, because there are a lot of movies in the 1980s you may be impatient and waiting for them so just write to me you can find my contact information all at my website links to my twitter feed facebook page instagram all of those are adequate ways to get in touch with me that's at quipster.net q-w-i-p-s-t-e-r.net until next time thanks everyone for joining me on this trip around the world in 80s movies (laughs) 